All right. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Doing well. All right. Uh, well's good, baby. Romans chapter 12. That is where we'll be. Romans chapter 12. Um, one of my favorite passages for sure. Uh, love Romans chapter 12. Anybody know the theme of Romans? Anybody got the themes memorized? They know the theme of Romans? The gospel of God. The gospel, right? The theme of Romans is the gospel. And obviously, the Bible is, you could say, the entire Bible is about the gospel. But it's in Romans where Paul probably gives, and I would say does give, his deepest exposition, his deepest, most thorough treatment and explanation of the gospel. And the gospel that Paul teaches us is that he starts with the fact we are all sinners and this sin separates us from God, but God in his love sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die, to live the righteous life that we could never live and to die and pay the penalty for the sins which we could never repay. And by faith in the saving work of Christ, we are reconciled to God. And in the passage we're going to look at, Romans chapter 12, this is where Paul really flips a switch in the letter and starts to dive into how is this reality, how is the gospel going to change your life? How is it going to have a real practical implication for the rest of the, for, for the way you live, the rest of your life, in all respects? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are the verses we'll look at tonight. And in these passages, Paul really teaches the central truth that changes the rest of our lives, that the gospel, the, the call of the gospel is submission in every aspect of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Every aspect of our lives. When we start to think of, okay, what, we've been looking at 1 John, right? 1 John gives us that test of eternal life. And so as we start to look at our lives and think about how we're going to live, which areas of our lives should be impacted by who Jesus Christ is? By the gospel, by the fact that in him we are children of God. And the answer is every aspect of your life. There, there's not any element that falls outside of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what Paul also shows us is that when, when it comes to the gospel, the first thing I think we all think of is salvation, right? Like we're saved from our sins. We're saved from the wrath of God on our sins from the gospel. And is that true? Absolutely. But is our new relationship with God simply one where God says, hey, I'm not mad at you anymore, whatever, just move on? Is that what our relationship with God is now? No. The Bible teaches that we go from being enemies of God in our sin through the gospel to being loved children of God, to having close fellowship with him, intimate fellowship with him, which is radically more than just simply forgiveness. 
we now have a day-by-day close walk with the Lord available to us through Jesus Christ, and this changes our lives. And so when we look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul's going to call us to recognize this change that has happened to us in two separate ways. We'll call number one, sanctified bodies, and number two, sanctified minds. And we'll talk just about what exactly that means, but part one, sanctified bodies, it's about what do we do just with our physical existence, what we go about from day to day in school, at work, in athletics, in relationships, like our day-to-day existence walking through this earth, when we are in Christ, we are sanctified. We, and we're going to talk about what that means. Essentially, we are set apart with a whole new purpose. Why do people live? Like, what do people live for? What are some of the things people live for on this earth? Money. Money's like the first one that always comes to mind, right? Fame. fame. I was going to say that too. Money, fame. Material possessions, power, like these are the things that drive people, right? These are the things that people dedicate their bodies to. What Paul is going to tell us is that our day-to-day existence, our physical existence is now to be dedicated to Jesus Christ. And when we talk about sanctified minds, he's going to go deeper in that. This really starts with your thought life. How do you think? And so let's just look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So in verse 1, he talks about sanctified bodies, our just physical day-to-day existence in this world, being set apart for the purpose of serving, glorifying God. And he starts with, therefore, by the mercies of God. Therefore. So he's pointing us back to what he's been talking about in chapters 1 through 11, which again, chapters 1 through 11 is him going very deep into the truths of our salvation, going very deep into the truths of the gospel and really how it all works, how our lives are changed. And so when we get to chapter 12, he's saying, because of how great this gospel is and because of what God is doing and the lives of those who put their faith in him, here's how you should live. And this really feeds into what we've been talking about with 1 John, right? Because 1 John's all talking about um, the impact, the effects of the truth of God in your life and how it should play out in your life. James talks about that. Jesus talks about that. Here we have Paul talking about that. So you get the point that it's not just one person's opinion in the Bible that is um, telling you that the gospel should change your life. It's everybody. This is the truth of God. And I love just how excited Paul gets about the gospel when he wraps up chapter 11. So he spent 11 chapters talking about just in depth the truths of the gospel and how he concludes. If you start chapter 11, just look at verse 32. 
He kind of sums it up. God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. And he just breaks out in praise. It's the only way he knows to end just the truths of the gospel. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's like Paul's so built up and excited about the gospel the only thing he knows how to do at the end of chapter 11 is just praise God for it. And it's this recognition of the greatness of the gospel that really leads to new motives. It fuels that changed life. Because do you think about, okay, like why do you think anybody, your parents pay taxes because they just love the government and they love paying taxes. In fact, like the government says like pay 30% and they're like, no, nah, I'm gonna go 35 because this Biden guy, he's got me excited. No, anybody's parents? Nobody? All right, yeah. Nobody's obeying the IRS out of love, out of gratitude, all right? And pretty often, that's how worldly authority works, right? Like, usually worldly people submit to authorities in this world very often to avoid problems, like to avoid the IRS, to avoid an audit, to avoid jail time, to avoid a ticket, or maybe like they do it for self-promoting purposes, right? Like, you don't like your boss at work, but you're gonna submit to them because maybe that'll get you a promotion. But Christian obedience is very, very different. In fact, John is going to tell us this in 1 John, that those who love God obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's this recognition of the greatness of the gospel and this love for God that fuels this life change, that fuels this obedience and so Paul says, therefore, because of the greatness of the gospel, this should change you. This should give you the motivation to love God and obey him. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Th this word here for urge is really pretty interesting, too. So sometimes that word, it's uh, parakaleo, it's sometimes used for the Holy Spirit. So like Paul's not giving just some disinterested command here. What Paul, the, the word that Paul uses there says, hey, I'm coming alongside of you in this. Like this is something that is so important. I'm doing it with you. Just like the Holy Spirit lives inside of us as Christians and aids us in this obedience, Paul's saying, I'm going to come alongside of you and, and, and encourage you and build you up. Kind of what Dusty was talking about, Pastor Dusty, this past Sunday. Stirring up one another to love and good works. Um, and, and it really gives us a good picture of the heart of Paul. 
that Paul's not making just some kind of suggestion here. Paul is giving a command, but it's with the pastoral heart because he loves these people and he wants them to live out the fullness of the gospel in their lives. And the first command he gives here is present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. What do you think when you, and I kind of already told you this, but just regurgitate for me. What do you think he means when he says present your bodies? Isn't that weird? Present your bodies. Uh, show yourself as an example of Christ. Yeah, show, your, show yourself as an example of Christ. How you live your life. Like, you do things in your body, right? Like, you get out of bed and you go to school, you go to work, you go to whatever activities you have. You have this physical existence in this world where you're walking about and doing things. And he's saying these things should be done as a living sacrifice to God. I like it because... He's really removing a lot of mysticism here. When you think about, okay, what should the spiritual life look like? What should, what should a godly life look like? And you think it's some kind of mystery, some magical kind of thing. And Paul's saying, no, just whatever God's given you to do in your day, do it to the glory of him. Do it in obedience to him. Every day we're all going to have, just in the course of our actions, like opportunities for sin, opportunities to disobey God, opportunities to make the wrong choices. Paul's saying, no, just live in obedience to God. Whatever God has put before you in your day-to-day -day life, do that as a living sacrifice. So what are some of the things you do? What are some of the things you do every day? You go, can, can you do school to the glory of God as a living sacrifice? How? To do it without complaining. Ooh, that's a good one. Because complaining's bad. When you go to school and you complain, it's bad for you. It's bad for your teacher. It's bad for your parents. It's bad for the other students. You're poisoning everybody. And ultimately, anytime when you complain in life, who's in control of your life and where you're at? God. And so if, if there's a mistake in your circumstances, whose fault would that be? Who, who are you implying fault on? God, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Knock out complaining. That is a good way to be a living sacrifice. What, where's somebody, some other place other than school you might go on a given day? Work. work. Now, how can you be a living sacrifice at work? The Bible doesn't say anything about work, does it? It says a lot about work. What, what are some ways? Yeah, without complaining, with a good attitude, with diligence, with faithfulness, with just a strong work ethic. You do that you are going to stick out in the workplace because most people complain. Most people have bad attitudes. In fact, that's what Paul told the Philippians in Philippians chapter two, right? He told them like, do all things without grumbling and complaining and you're gonna 
like shine as a beacon of light in the midst of dark, a dark world because everybody else has a bad attitude. And that's going to be a great opportunity for you to glorify God, and it's going to present opportunities for you to share the gospel, right? It's a great way. What, one more. What's one more place you go? Yeah, yeah. And what besides work? So we got school work. What's another place you go? You could be a living sacrifice. Home. Oh, home's a good one. Yes. How can you be a living sacrifice to God at home? Being nice to your siblings. Being nice to your siblings. Again, did you know, believe it or not, that's good for you? Like, it is like you don't it's good for your own soul when you're living in obedience to your parents and God. It's good for you. You think that's probably good for your parents when you're when you're nice to your I can promise you your parents love it when you and your siblings get along. I'm speaking from firsthand experience. You think it's good for your siblings? Yeah, it's good for everybody, right? There's so many places we go every day where we can be living sacrifices. And when we talk about sacrifices, it's really in the Old Testament, the Septuagint was like the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They actually use this word too for sanctification. So to be set apart. And it's important that, because the Bible tells us this, that when you're in Christ, you are sanctified. You are set apart. And we talk about two types of sanctification. We talk about one type is that progressive becoming more and more like Christ every day. That's called progressive sanctification. But there's actually another aspect of sanctification that's instant, and that's just being separated. You are now not just a normal person. You are a disciple of Christ. You are separated, set apart for the purpose of worshiping him and glorifying him. In fact, like a good example, I love this, the example of, you read through like Leviticus. Have any of y'all read through Leviticus? And you get to some parts that are kind of challenging because it's all about like temple worship. And they're like, hey, you have this bowl and this bowl is holy. It's sanctified. Isn't that kind of a weird concept? Because if you were to go chemically analyze that bowl, it's still just whatever metal it's made out of, right? And it's still just a bowl. What makes it sanctified? It is simply the fact that, yes, there's nothing in and of that itself, that bowl in and of itself that's special, but it is sanctified because it has been created and set apart for the purpose of being used in worshiping and glorifying God. It's a great way to look at yourself as a follower of Christ. In and of ourselves, there's nothing inherently special about us. We're not better than anybody else. But in Christ, our lives have been totally repurposed, just like one of those bowls in Leviticus, where we are now just set apart so that everything we go do in our physical bodies now has an entirely new purpose to it. And that purpose is worshiping and glorifying God. I also love the fact that Paul tells us that we are to be living in holy sacrifices. Now, are there any, is there such thing, like think back to the Old Testament and the, the sacrificial bulls and goats, they, they get their throat slit and they die. Like, is there any like, 70% dead sacrifices in the Old Testament? 
90%? It's 100%, right? Like, yes, you, that sacrifice is 100%. There's no such thing as a halfway sort of sacrifice. That priest would be fired. That would be a failed sacrifice, right? No, it is 100%. I love that because it reminds us when we see that language there, it's the exact same thing God is calling us to, right? He's not calling us to eh, part-time Christianity, 70% of the time Christianity, Maybe Sunday through Thursday, but Friday and Saturday is the time to... No, it's 100% of our lives. We are completely set apart. At 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul talks about how our body doesn't even belong to us anymore. Our life doesn't even belong to us anymore. We've been purchased by Christ, and we now belong to him to be used in any way he sees fit. So he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. We are living sacrifices. This is an ongoing day-to-day thing, day-to-day. Luke 9, 23, how he, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross. So there's the 100% sacrifice. They didn't ever put somebody on a cross and be like, eh, that looks like he's had enough. Let's take him down. It was a 100% sacrifice. And how often in Luke 9, 23, does Jesus say, take up your cross? What does he say? On weekends, weekdays, Business daily, take up your cross daily. Paul adds that this living in holy sacrifice, this sanctification of our bodies is acceptable to God. Have you ever heard people talk about the will of God for their lives like it's a really complex thing? Have you ever heard people talk that way? Like they're getting, you know, you're a senior and you're like, I'm getting ready to go to college just trying to figure out what God's will for my life is. And it's probably pretty impossible to know. Like, does God want me to go to OU, to UTA? I mean, I don't know. Like, but you hear people talk that way, right? Like, oh, I'm trying to decide is, is it God's will for me to take this job or not? That's how you hear people talk. But what's interesting is you never hear the Bible talk that way. The Bible very, very often talks about God's will for our lives, and it's always super simple. I mean, he says right here, this is acceptable to God. This is God's will for your life. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Paul says, this is God's will for your life to the Thessalonians, your sanctification, that just every day you would grow closer to God, that every day you'd become more Christ-like. I love what he also told the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. He says, here's God's will for your life. Rejoice always. In everything, give thanks. I mess, I, oh yeah, sorry, I messed it up. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for your life. 
you see, it's about simply obeying the things that God's called you to do. God's not asking you to figure out his will for your life in some way that's cryptic and difficult and you could never be quite sure. No, God makes it simple. Paul says, this is what is acceptable in your life. Be a living sacrifice to God. Be sanctified. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Jesus did the same, right? Like Matthew chapter 6. He's like, hey, y'all are worried about food and clothing and all these different things. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you know what's real interesting about people when it comes to God's will for their lives? It's like you'll find so many who say, you know, I really don't care what God has to say. Like they live their life however they want to live and don't really give God much thought. And then it's time to choose a college. They get to their senior year of high school and it's time to choose a college. Now they're super interested in God's will for their lives when it comes to choosing a college. It's like, what? Like you don't care 99% of the time what God's will for your life is. Now this one decision, you got a real, like, oh, you really want, you're getting it wrong. You're getting it backwards. Look, trust me, submit to God's will for your life in the obvious 99% walking obediently with him and trust him and his sovereignty for that 1%. You're not gonna go make silly, foolish decisions when you're walking in the will of God and obedience to God. Paul says, this is your spiritual service of worship. I've never figured out why we translate that spiritual service of worship. Does anybody else have a different translation that says something different? Anybody? What's yours say? This is your true and proper worship. True and proper, that's pretty good. I like that. Does anybody say reasonable? Yeah. Yours says reasonable? Yeah, I think like the New King James, King James. What do you have there? Uh, New King James James calls it your reasonable service of worship. And I think that's probably the best. The, The Greek words logikos, where we get logic from, And really what it means is like, this is based on the truths of the gospel, the reasonable thing you should do. If you understand who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for you and the change that he has made in your life, this is the true and proper. This is the reasonable thing you should do with your life. Everett Harrison, I'll read a quote from him here. He says that Paul is really contrasting here the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament with the sacrifice that we should be as Christians. When that bull, that goat was sacrificed, did they have any clue what was going on? No, they were just animals being led to the slaughter, right? They were illogical sacrifices, or I don't know. You know what I'm saying. They weren't thinking this through. That's not us, though. We are sacrifices going to the sacrifice with the full knowledge fueled by an understanding of what God has done for us. It's fueled by love for and obedience to him. In verse two, he makes a transition He takes us a little bit deeper. So verse one, it's about our historical day-to-day existence in our bodies. 
But in verse two, we're reminded that this starts in the heart. This starts in the mind. That this type of living is an outflow of our thinking. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. And Christ taught this over and over again. Christ taught over and over again that what's going on in your heart and mind is going to overflow into how you live every day. And that's an important thing for us to grasp, right? Because, I mean, just think about thinking. Throughout the day, you've got thoughts, right? Like you can't help but have thoughts. And you, you, your mind can't help but to go places and just meditate on things. Do you ever take inventory of your thoughts? Like, what are you thinking of throughout the day? Are they worldly things? Are they sinful things? Are they selfish things? Or are they God-honoring things? How often does your mind, as it roams throughout the day, roam back to the truths of God and meditating on the things of God? Because over and over again, the Bible's going to tell us how important those thoughts are in our thought life is on what flows out in our lives. Matthew 12, 34, these are just all some quotes from Jesus here. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Matthew 15, 18, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Luke 6, 45, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And here's the thing, you gotta work pretty hard at having a godly thought life, right? Because the world that you're involved with every day is not going, we're gonna see that here in a second, is not going to be pushing you towards godly thinking. And so that's why when we talk about the importance of spiritual disciplines and like taking the time every day to read some of God's word and having verses to meditate on, it's because the only way you're going to train your mind to regularly think on godly things is to work really hard at it. Because if you just sit back and relax, you're just inundated with the world every day. And that's just going to be what you think about. And so for us to successfully live out our bodily existence, our outward lives in a sanctified way, part two, we have to have sanctified minds. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the, he starts, he gives us kind of two commands here. The first one is from the negative side. Like, here's what you don't want. And he says, do not be conformed to this world. If you go back early on in Romans, the first thing Paul does when it comes to sharing the gospel is he just shows everybody their need for the gospel. And so he really spends like chapters one and two talking about how Jew, Gentile, all human beings are in trouble because of sin. All of us have sin that separates us from God and it's 
the world that we live in. Like we live in a sinful world system. By nature, people are born enemies of God. That there is a worldly way of doing things and God calls us into a new life. When he calls us to be sanctified, he's calling us out from the world to be separate and be different. And so the Christian, it's inconceivable when you read through the New Testament, and we're seeing this in 1 John, that a Christian would continue to live like the world. And when we talk about the world, we're talking about just the, the system around us that is dominated by Satan and sinful thinking, right? Like, you know what the Bible says about marriage? Does the world, generally speaking, have a very different opinion than God when it comes to marriage? Absolutely. What about, like, integrity and lying and stuff like that? The Bible is very clear. Lying is never okay. Do you see a lot of lying, though, very often going on in the world around us? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Bible calls us to not be complainers. Do you hear a lot of complaining at work and school? Yeah. That is the world. That the world has, in any aspect of life, philosophies and ways that it thinks you should live. And it's going to try to teach you those things. And it's going to try to, the world has a mold of what it thinks you should look like. And it's going to try to press you into that mold. And even more so as you get older here, like right now your parents, they're really trying to protect you from certain things and like introduce you to certain things and help you think through them and talk through them. But like you're not very far away from being out on your own, right? And then it really is going to be about what do you believe? And what do, what do you believe is true? And who is Jesus Christ? And you're going to have a world out there that's going to say, hey, this is how you should live. And Paul is saying here, don't let the world press you into that mold. Don't be conformed to this world. Galatians 1.4, Paul says, Christ gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age. And this has always been the case with God's people. Go back and read the Old Testament. When God chooses the nation of Israel, he says, I'm calling you out from the nations to be separate and different. And it's the same for the church and for us in the New Testament. The Bible from cover to cover, God is calling out his people, saving them, rescuing them from this world to be different. Don't be conformed to this world. Learn, learn plenty. Be a very thoughtful, educated person. Please, you should. But don't get your way of thinking from this world. Don't, don't be latched on to the morals or the world's definition of truth. Frankly, I've seen some things lately, they don't even have a definition of truth. I saw one the other day that said, live out your truth. Like that doesn't even make sense, all right? You've been called out. Do not be conformed to 
this world. So if you're not going to get your way of thinking from this world, where should it be? Well, Paul's going to give us the positive aspect here. He says, instead of being conformed by this world and pressed into its mold, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the word here is actually the Greek word that we get the English word metamorphosis, right? So like metamorphosis is the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It's a changed life. It's when you're saved, you're an enemy of God, right? By nature, we are children of wrath and enemies of God, just sinful. And so that's how our thinking is. And from the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit instantly comes to dwell inside of you and just change your thinking and renew your thinking. And I'd say this for me is one of the most remarkable aspects of the Christian life. Just as I look back on my own life, just to see how different my thinking has become year after year. And it's because the Holy Spirit works inside of us. Isn't that a remarkable thought that the God who created this universe, spoke it into being with all its complexity, and he holds it together still, this same exact God literally dwells inside of you and works on you. It's a pretty amazing thought, and it's absolutely true. He works to renew our mind. Now, how does the Holy Spirit working inside of us renew our minds? How does he do that? Any ideas? The Bible's like number one, right? I think the Bible is the number one answer. And I think there's a few ways he uses, I mean, the Bible is the key, but there's some few ways he like ingrains that into us. Ian, were you gonna say something different? Prayer's a good one, yeah, yeah, that's great. Like so often people think of, I'd say the common, thought of prayer is I'm going to try to change God's mind on something. No, it's very much more about us lining our heart up and changing our heart and mind to line up with God. <clears throat> yeah, songs are great. That's actually straight from Colossians. Like songs are about teaching the word of God. I'd say like other people, right? I mean, think about what we talked uh, on Sunday morning, stirring up one another to love and good deeds. Like we speak truth into one another's life. It's still the foundations, the Bible, and it is the Bible, but God uses other people in our lives to help us see God's truth from different perspectives that like, oh, you know, like that's, I just hadn't thought of it that way. And that's very helpful to hear you explain it that way. What about circumstances? Does God use circumstances to change us and renew us? Absolutely, right? And so like so often, you know, it's like, um, Anything you learn in life, there's like the textbook, you learn it from the textbook and then you go out and apply it. And when you apply it, you're like, oh, now I really get it. Like, I don't know, this is a horrible example. I'm thinking of it on the fly, but like uh, tying a knot, right? Like I read a book on how to tie this knot and I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. I go practice tying that knot for real. 
Now I'm really learning. God so often does that with his word, right? It starts with his word, like this is the textbook, and then God's like, all right, now I'm gonna go put you in some circumstances to really apply this in real life and really, really learn it. But it all starts with soaking our lives with his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It, it starts, we say it so often, but it's because it's true. It starts with just absorbing ourselves with God's word, growing in its understanding. And it's through circumstances and other people, God uses his word to continue to grow us. And I, when you think of our circumstances and the other people that God brings, us, brings into our lives, who again is sovereign over all that? God. He orchestrates all these things. You think of Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purposes. And when you expand on that and read on, you realize our good is our sanctification. That's what he's talking about. And it's God orchestrating all these things using his word to sanctify us and change us. So that, we are not be, we're, so that we are not conformed to this world, but transformed in the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Again, don't overcomplicate what God's will for your life is. You're gonna have to make challenging decisions from time to time but again, I promise you, if you are walking in day-to-day -day obedience to God, you are walking in his will. That's what he's called us to do. Pursue sanctification. Pursue glorifying him. That our lives would be a living and holy sacrifice. As uh, we uh, think about just the application here, I mean, first of all, it starts with the gospel, right? Like he starts with therefore in verse one of chapter 12 because he's saying this is all about the gospel. And so that's, I think as a young person, the, the first question that needs to be on your mind have I come to a place where I've entrusted my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior, recognizing my sinfulness, recognizing him as um, the one and only solution, the one and only path to salvation, the one and only way I can be forgiven for my sin? And have I entrusted my life to him? I mean, how else can you be, a, can, can you truly give your life to something you haven't trusted in completely? No, it starts with that faith in the gospel, that evaluation of our hearts, where are we at? 
for those that are in Christ, those who are confident that they have their place in Christ, what Paul calls us to here is really a daily recommitment. The gospel, we're saved once and for all, but we live out the gospel every single day, right? It's a, it's a daily renewal of that commitment, a daily recognition, first of all, that we need repentance every day. We need forgiveness every day. We need daily to, to um, just be grateful to God for this fact that he has saved us. And then that daily recommitment to not be conformed to this world, not live the way this world has called me to, but to be that living sacrifice, to, to reevaluate and again, just take inventory of the different aspects of our lives. And sometimes I think we can be doing better in some areas and worse in some areas, right? Like you can think of, okay, how have I been living at school? Have I been doing a good job of representing Christ at school with the way I interact with my teachers, with my diligence and my work, with the way I interact with the other students? I, you know, I think in good conscience, I can say I'm doing pretty well there, but if I think about how I've been at home, I've had a lot of problems with my siblings and I'm not doing well there, right? So like, I think as we look at our lives and we take inventory, we can see like we might be living out different levels of faithfulness in different aspects of our lives. And the, the reason we preach the gospel to ourselves every day is because when we recognize those areas that we're falling short and there's always gonna be some areas where we're falling short, God's grace is sufficient. We go back, we repent, and we ask God to continue to grow us in those areas. We're called to be a living sacrifice, to, to put our faith in Christ, and it radically changes our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we do just uh, thank you for saving us, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and that you, Spirit, work on our lives every day. And just pray that you would enable us to be faithful, to give ourselves completely over to that work, to live a life of gratitude for all you've done for us, and to point others towards you for your glory and for your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.